Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Today Imaniana. I'm Alex. This is Xavier. We're very excited to have you joining us this morning on a definitely chilly, I was just cold, thinking. I, I just, rainy. I just, I just looked at you, and you, you got so peppy, and I said, "That's what we need on a day like this because." <laughs> You, you need that double shot of cafe con leche. Exactly. You need the, cafe, you need the Danilo special. There you are. At uh, Guajiros, where they put three shots of espresso into that thing. And, and a little bit of milk. Sugar, and then some sugar. And then some sugar. And then just a little bit of milk with your, uh, with your espresso. And said, really, okay, boom. Here we go. Now I'm, uh, now I'm ready to go. So it's one of those mornings. But we're, we're glad that uh, you're here, hopefully, in a cozy place, in a warm place, not outside. Watching today, manana. It'd be tough to be because, watching this outside, though. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying. I hope it's that. not out there on the phone. I don't think anybody's really doing that. I hope not. Not for me. Dead inside, but warm. And uh, and join us for some today, manana. I'm glad glad you're here. Oh, I'm delighted to be here. As Once always. again, you know, uh, able to see much better. For those who don't know, see I'm half one eye. See halfway. One eye. For those yeah. who don't know, Xavier got his vision improved and. In one eye, yeah. and then soon he'll get. Uh, let's just put it this way: if he's not here next week, it's because he's going to be improving the other eye. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're glad about that, of course. Just looking forward to a fantastic show. We're going to be joined very shortly by David McCormick. He's the artistic director at the Early Music Access Project. Some great uh, concerts I know coming up. Uh, for that that we're going to talk about. Um, as always, uh, just really appreciate being here on the I Love Seville Network set. A big thank you to our presenter, Emergent Financial Services, as well as our partners at Castle Hill Cider, at the Jim Seville. So the Jim, those two, two big events weekend, coming up. Right? First, this weekend, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., uh, they're having the Health and Wellness Expo, so you can stop by the gym. Um, you can't, can't miss the gym. It's, you know, right in those multicolored buildings. Uh, by uh, just off uh, Harris Street. That's right. Yeah. You know, so where Steveville Coffee is. Um, so stop by there, Health and Wellness Expo. A lot of different vendors from around the community just interested in, in just obviously your health, health yeah. physical, spiritual, mental, mental. As all three. Uh, as Justin Very likes important. to tell us, all those things um, really focus on the gym. They're having a great um, like a six-week program that people can uh, look into if they're interested. Just that kind of initial training of, of really just learning what your body needs to get in shape with, learning you know where your body might be struggling, where it's putting stress in all the wrong places. So for me, it was uh, we, we visited, which you'll see shortly. I know Nick is putting those clips together Uh-oh. Uh, for people to see on today. But <laughs> for when Xavier, Michael, and I visited the gym, um, and Gene is there, you know, Telling me, yeah, your your back is taking on a lot of the stress because there's other muscles in your body that just aren't pulling the load. So, <laughs> gotta work those out and really just get to a healthier place there. So that's coming up for the gym as well as on February 18th, Luke Edwards, it, having been rescheduled right. from October, is coming that's by. Right. So that's a great. I mean, he he he's one of the perfectors of a certain type of method for becoming fit and really improving just your muscle and, and so forth. So he's going to be he's going to be visiting the gym in person wow, um, live so on February 18th. So be sure to check out the Gym Seville um, to sign up for those because it's going to be some great events there. Um, of course, a big thank you, Credit Serious Insurance, our friends Miguel and Chick, Miguel and Carolina are coming next on week. next week. Yeah. So they're going to miss be, them. But I know, you're going you're gonna to be uh, sad. Because I had uh, some questions in Spanish for them. I really wanted to challenge them. Okay, pass, pass I'll them pass them, them along. To, uh, there you are. Pass them on to Michael. And this way he, can, right. uh, he and I can practice <laughs> our Spanish uh, there with Miguel and Carolina. Just, we'll do some, some bilingual there. Yeah. Um, they'll be coming on next week. Um, and, of course, last but not least, our, our friends at uh, Fora Adelante, the premier Latino networking group here in Charlottesville, Virginia. 
So a lot, a lot going on. A couple shout-outs. And, and, and don't forget to uh, like, ah. share, and subscribe. Like, share, yeah. subscribe, comment, ask questions. Do it all. Do it all. Do it all. A couple of shout-outs. Thank you, Jacob Roche, for watching this morning. Uh, thank you, Johnny Ornelas, Emilio del Programa, for watching this morning. So we've got, uh, got some people already tuning in. It's been like, uh, what have we been on for two minutes? And already some, some good friends tuning in. So that's, that's always good to see. All right. So, I mean... I'm I don't know about you. Go. I'm excited to Absolutely. jump right in. You know, from uh, David's excited too. So I mean, we can't hold them back any longer. There we go. There we go. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so without further ado, we are glad to welcome to the show this morning David McCormick. He is the artistic director at Early Mutes at Access Project. He's back for I think it's the third time. Yeah, on it the is. Show. It so is. It's the third time. Oh, so we're very excited to have you back. Glad to be here. It's my favorite interview to do. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That means so much. And we didn't even pay him to say that. I know, exactly. I'm thrilled. I had to put my money back in my pocket. I was ready to pay him, but didn't need to. Uh, So for David, I mean, we've had you on, obviously talking about Chamber Music Festival. Last time we did have you on to talk about Early Music Access Project. Um, So for those who are new to the program, tell us a little bit about yourself and the Early Music Access Project. What what is that? What, what, What do people kind of expect if they go visit the website and learn more about it? Sure. So um, I am a Baroque violinist, which means I'm playing an instrument that is set up in the style of the Baroque period with strings made of sheep gut and a bow that's shorter and shaped like this instead of like this. I didn't know that. Yeah. (laughs) So um, Early Music Access Project is focused on playing these old instruments um, in the way you might have heard if you were alive in the Baroque period. Gotcha. But um, as I like to say, we're, you know, we are alive in the 21st century, and so it is a 21st century experience. Um, you know, we're playing in concert halls and um, unique venues that mm-hmm. did not exist in the Baroque period, so it is, it's a slightly different experience. Um, but it, there, it, it is about sort of looking at history, recreating history through these um, uh, sort of old materials. And um, yeah, Early Music Access Project has been around now six years in Charlottesville, and um, doing really interesting work, I like to think. Um, a lot of sort of cross-disciplinary things and, um, you know, work, working with uh, unexpected collaborators. Mm-hmm. So okay. is a music that is played um, also traditional music or, or is uh, some of this music also written for contemporary times? Um, that's a really good question. And actually... Um, so I, I had a phone call yesterday with um, somebody at the National Endowment for the Arts. I was telling them about a project I was doing, and I was mentioning a composer, and he said, what are you talking about? A living composer, and you're an early <laughs> musician? <laughs> and I said, no, 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 it's, it, it's a thing. It really is a thing. Living composers writing for these old instruments, using wow. those old techniques, yep. um, and not just writing sort of music that sounds like Bach, but music that is inspired by that okay. older music, but that has 21st century sensibilities to it. That's amazing. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's where I was curious whether anybody even like does that anymore. But yeah, it's yeah. definitely um, a tradition that's alive and well and and, and evolving. Yeah. That's fantastic. Now, do you sometimes? I know there there are instruments that are new instruments made using materials that they would have used back then. And then there's also do you are there some do you also sometimes play on instruments that actually are like two hundred years old? It's funny. So I I have a closet of instruments in my home. Um, one of them is from the 1780s, wow. so it is a true old instrument. Um, and then I have an instrument from a guy who's just down the street here, Jonathan Vacanti. He made me a beautiful violin in the old style. 
Um, and I have a medieval fiddle that is also from the 2000s. Uh, wow. wow. Yeah. Do you play amazing. those or are you kind of afraid that if you play them... No, I play all of them, yeah. You do? Okay, okay. Um, and and what if, if the string breaks or something? Is that... There, um, that's what Jonathan Vacanti's for. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jonathan. Okay. Yeah, he can fix just about anything. I did that 1780s instrument. I, I got actually from a maintenance worker in a public school I used to work at in Northern Virginia. Wow. He sold it to me for $1,000. It's worth $15,000 now. Wow. Um, and it looked like it was about to explode when he gave it to me. There, there are cracks that have been fixed over hundreds of years. You know, of People kept fixing and, right. and making it work, which is an indication that it's a special instrument, because otherwise it would have just ended up in a trash heap. Mm. That's a good point. Yes. Um, but I was always afraid it would explode, and it did, in fact, explode in 2020. Oh. Um, the neck came off in a very unfortunate way. I took it to Jonathan, and he said, this is months of work to repair. I don't have time to do it. I'm going to send it to my friend and I think it was Rhode Island or something. Um, and so I, I didn't have that instrument for five months. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it didn't take her five months to fix it, but I was in a in a line. <laughs> and um, it, you know, she, she sent it back to me with a new neck. So it does have a 21st century neck on it. <laughs> you think that that's probably what happens time after time. I mean, there's no, even if you were to go and, and purchase like a, you know, spend $15,000 on a $700, someone's fixed it at some point. I mean, the strings always, of course, like, you, you, of it's course. never the same strings. They yep. probably, people have, like you said, if it's a good instrument, people have patched it up and made it work for 200 years, yep. which is the kind of the beauty of it. It's you're seeing the history of the instrument, the history of music, yeah. not I, just as a snapshot, but as moving through time. And there's actually a dirty little secret about all like the Stradivarius and Amati and Guarneri instruments, which is that almost none of them are in the condition they were in when they were built, um, because the neck angle changed over time on violins. It got more um, sort of severe to ratchet up the tension to make instruments louder. So an original Stradivarius would have had kind of a, a neck that comes straight out from the body. Um, and they've reset those necks in most of the strads. Mm -hmm. So if you like go to the Library of Congress and see those instruments, um, I would say nine out of ten of them are have been massively remade. Wow, <laughs> interesting. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Oh, that's some that's some fans watching Linda McCormick. That's my mom. Uh, thank you, Linda. <laughs> thank you, Linda. Lisa Doler is listening. It's my board treasurer. Oh, there you go. Right. The board treasurer gave us two hearts, so she's loving the show <laughs> this morning. And, uh, and who else we got? Uh, ah, and Guillermo Salas Suarez. Oh, hey. The show, the show <laughs> he's, he's an Early Music Access Project musician. Ah, wonderful. Ah, Guillermo, thanks for watching. Muchas gracias for watching the show this morning. <laughs> you know, I know I love it anytime uh, we did Latino watching the show. I mean, nice. I'm going yes. to get excited. I'm going to get excited. Fantastic. So, I mean, one thing that I'm really excited to obviously we're going to talk about some upcoming themes for Early Music Access Project, winter songs and stories. So this is coming up on February 13th and 14th, so obviously a great Valentine's Day gift Absolutely. for someone or for you and your special someone. So winter songs and stories, what can people expect when they go to see this? I know you've got some great musicians. You have a, a master storyteller, I understand. Yeah. But what, what is winter songs and stories? Yeah, I'm curious myself. Yeah, this is, a, this is a really interesting collaboration between a storyteller and some musicians. Mm -hmm. um, the storyteller, for the second half of the show, is going to be telling an Appalachian tale called Mutzmag that is really hilarious, actually. It's really <laughs> great. Um, 
and uh, we are interspersing music in between uh, parts of the story, oh. and even providing a few sound effects within the story, oh. of course. <laughs> um, and then we're doing, and the music for that is um, is Scottish traditional music. Scottish traditional. Yeah. Oh, nice. That's gonna be good. So, though, I yeah. mean, you got it. Yeah. So yeah. I know you've got Baroque violin yeah. naturally, which is David, uh, guitar, vocals, and a bagpipe. Yes. Oh. Well. Yeah. The bagpiper is really amazing, and I do want to clarify: this is not the like outdoor Highland bagpipe. Mm -hmm. This is an indoor bagpipe. Mm -hmm. You will not have your ears blown out. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Um, I was visiting with the um, the person who runs one of our venues for this concert, and she heard about the bagpipe, and she said, "David." This is going to hurt the ears of the patrons. And I was like, no, 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 don't worry. It's a different <laughs> kind of bagpipe. Bag <laughs> That's amazing. So, I mean, the idea of mixing storytelling music, so that might be new to some people who are due to have just gone to concerts, where, you know, you just, I mean, in today's, you know, yeah. you go to the symphony, you just hear music. You, you go to a go play, to theater, you just hear exactly. the play. Just they probably haven't listened to someone tell them a story since childhood. So, what, what have you found are some of the beautiful parts of that genre mixing? What's kind of, I mean, is that something historically that used to happen much more frequently than today? You know, I don't know. I, I have to imagine that, you know, sitting around telling stories, music was also part of that. Yep. I'm sure they didn't curate yeah. it the way that we're curating <laughs> it with, you know, sound effects and all of that. And, but the, the marriage of those two things has been really great. I mean, the, um, the music fits the story really well. Mm -hmm. Um, we also have a set of Jeffersonian music, and we have the storyteller playing the role of Jefferson's granddaughter for that, and reading actual quotes from the granddaughter, and then we gotcha. play the music that she's talking about in those quotes. Oh, you know, so it really like it fits together very nicely. Um, and then we're also doing some Shakespearean music, um, in part to celebrate one of our venues. Um, on the Monday, the 13th, we're going to be out at Blackfriars Playhouse in Stanton, mm, which is you yeah, know, an authentic venue. This is what, this looks, it's an exact replica of what Shakespeare would have known. Um, and so we're doing a set of Shakespeare music with a Shakespeare expert. Um, this is somebody who has studied the music in Shakespeare's plays mm -hmm. and is working to recreate it. Oh wow! Yeah, that must be something else to hear. The ad, to hear what what would have been like the actual music, or, or do they have? Do they know the actual music in some cases? Of it's there's a bit of a of recreating that has mm -hmm. to take place yep. because it's not as if Shakespeare just wrote it down and said play this tune at this exactly. time or these these lyrics go with this tune. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, one of my professors in college, Ross Duffin, did a lot of this research and figured out okay this this poetry very clearly goes with this tune and it's from the right year and all this stuff you know wow. um, and so um, he and my friend Brian Kay who's on this concert worked um, together for a while actually um, and came up with a lot of this stuff and what's great is that Brian is, a, is just such a beautiful singer um, and player of guitars mm -hmm. and really brings the music to life it really, he inhabits the music in a great way that's got to be something that's else. That's amazing. Yeah, that sounds good. To hear good. that. Because that's often, sadly, what I think gets lost through time with themes, themes that involve words, storytelling, plays, um, even ancient Greek plays, right? The music is what sometimes doesn't get preserved. So you yeah. read Shakespeare that is now, or you don't see it, and there's often no music, or that you won't hear the music mm -hmm. that would have been there back then. You read an ancient Greek play, and you forget that an ancient Greek play 
more closely resembled an opera. They would have been singing the whole thing. But you read it now, you go see it, and, it's, and you sit there and say, it's, it's lost. So the idea that you're kind of through early music, but bringing that back in the sense of connecting people, not just with the words, which have been preserved through time, but with the music that you would have experienced back then is just incredible. Yeah. I mean, this is one of my, the favorite parts of my job, right? Mm-hmm. I get to show people things that they didn't know about history mm-hmm. um, and bring it to life. I mean, Shakespeare is already brilliant, but when you add that musical element, you, you start to understand more deeply what, what it's about, mm-hmm. like what it would have been like to sit in that audience and experience it. And, that's, and that's a beauty of it, right? I mean, so, I mean, you know, we've been to, you know, operatas, for example, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember, um, you know, what the, um, uh, in Argentina, this famous for their, it, it was almost like in back days, it's, it's like kind of what rap is today, except that in the sense of they would just kind of, you know, sing a story. Um, and I forget the name of what um, they're famous for. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't remember. It'll, it'll come to me after the show, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but that's the beauty of it, because what happens is when you have some music along with, with the story, right, I think the connection is even greater, because there's something about music that helps you, at least for me, that helps you remember things easier, right? Mm-hmm. And so to have that and, and to see, be able to say, here's a Shakespearean you know, play or, or part of a play and then play the music of the time, I think that's, that's great, you know? That's lovely. That's and, and then to do kind of do what it with today, you know, like, like you said, I, I guess the... the what was what was the story that's going to be told? That's, that's funny. Oh, uh, Mutzmeg. 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 Yeah. Do it with that. That's, that's going to be really good, though. That's yeah. it, does, it already sounds <laughs> exactly. yeah. it's uh, funny already I mean. <laughs> and so the, the storyteller so Linda says the storyteller is amazing and Lisa says she is and agrees with her so to, tell us do you, what do we know about the storyteller who's coming um, so she is actually um, the wife of one of the musicians and I, so I met her through him mm-hmm. um, and she really, she's been doing this her whole life and in fact this story Mutzmeg is one that you know I think her family taught her, or some. She's she's known it for her whole life. Right, right. And um, we did this show last year in Amherst, Virginia, and she did this same story. And towards the end of the show, she accidentally whacked her music stand, and the the words <laughs> went flying. And there was no way to really recover the notebook. Right? Mm-hmm. She could have put the music stand back up, but the the music, music the the words were across the room. Mm-hmm. Um, so she just told the rest of the story from memory. And she had it. It was all up there. Unbelievable. And it was actually, in a way, it, it kind of worked out. It made the camera angles better for the recording. <laughs> and, and she was, you know, looser and uh, freer with it. And it, um, it was brilliant. But, yeah, it's, it's in her bones. It's in her DNA. Um, I think uh, there are probably generations of storytellers in her family, exactly. whether yeah. formally or not. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. Yeah, because yeah. you realize... The, once you have it, that once you've been telling it for so long, just the way you tell it can become so masterful. Yeah, oh, it's funny. I, you know, I always feel like in in families, there's always like one or two people that have the ability to to remember things either from their childhood, but they have a way to embellish that in such a way that when they tell the story, right, it's just it's funny. And and even if the event wasn't like. The funniest of all, the way they say it and they're laughing through it, it just makes it it just makes it hilarious or makes it funny and makes it enjoyable, right? And and that's the beauty because that's that's a way for people to learn about 
you know, like you hear, like you would hear from your grandmother, whatever. And now you knew what you know what life was back then, mm-hmm. and you heard it in a way in a story. And then to be able to add the music to it, that's even better. You know? Yeah, I mean, this this is an Appalachian tale, and it really it speaks to that culture. Yeah, you really start to understand how they were viewing things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it has elements of sort of royalty and, and medievalism to it, but it, it is absolutely an, an Appalachian tale. <laughs> In every sense of the word. Yeah. <laughs> so is that both on the 13th and the 14th? Yeah, we're doing the okay. same show in two different locations. Okay. Once in Stanton, and then the other one is here in Charlottesville. Yeah. If I'm correct. So um, the one in Charlottesville is at the Stone Chapel, which is um, on the Church of Our Savior campus over on Rio Road. It's a historic building. It's over 100 years old. Um, it's quite small. So I'm, we've only uh, allocated 60 tickets for this concert. So don't wait on that one. 51 of them have sold. So you, wow. there, there are only nine tickets left yeah. for the Charlottesville concert. Um, Blackfires is a much larger venue, obviously, so we do have tickets left for that. You could even come to the door mm. on the day of the concert. But um, don't wait for the Charlottesville one if you're thinking about it. Um, it I, it's possible even that we're at zero tickets now. <laughs> no, so you better check that quickly. Don't wait till the end of the show. <laughs> Open another browser. <laughs> there you go, exactly. And you can listen and, and do it at the same time. Uh, Annabelle Hunter watching the show this morning says hi. Hello, Annabelle. Thanks for watching. Thanks for joining us. So, I mean, this, this is already something incredible to look forward to. But I wanted to also talk a little bit about last time we had you on, of course, um, you, I think it was, was it Nicholas that was here? Um, we were talking a little about the Fiddler Project that you've been working on. And I think there's going to be a culmination of that coming up in June, June 18th, yeah. um, as a concert. So tell us a little bit about both the project with the Monticello Fiddlers and, and the culmination that people can look forward to in June. Yeah, so um, in 2020, I had a fellowship at Monticello to study um, the enslaved fiddlers associated with Monticello. And um, some of those fiddlers are Jefferson's sons with Sally Hemings, um, including Eston Hemings, who was really um, kind of a famous fiddler in Chillicothe, Ohio. When he got his freedom, he moved to Chillicothe and formed a band there that was um, one of the most popular bands in Ohio for a couple of decades um, and then their cousins, the Scots, were also fiddlers. So we're talking about 10 or 11 fiddlers who at one point all lived in downtown Charlottesville. Wow. Um, I've actually I've done walking tours of downtown Charlottesville mm-hmm. to show people where they lived and worked. Um, we're just Holy blocks from, from where they lived and worked. Wow. Incredible. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, um, the Wells Fargo Bank Building down here is, um, used to be the Scott family home. And I have a photograph of the Scott family home uh, that was, you know, just a, a wooden, almost like kind of a, a two-story shack yeah, <laughs> um, right here, right on the downtown mall. Um, so anyway, the, these fiddlers, I've been studying them for years now, and we've done, um, you know, online programming about it. There's a film called Black Fiddlers that yep. is inspired by my research. Um, and then uh, this culminating concert... I can't announce the venue yet. All I can say is that it's going to be both acoustically and historically very resonant. That's my hint. Okay. <laughs> um, good luck figuring it out. Um, I'll, I'll announce it soon, but um, the concert is going to include all of the 
the fiddle tunes that I've uncovered from these fiddlers. And what's really cool about it is there are some unexpected items in there. There are um, dances from the most popular operas of the day mm. that they that I haven't found anywhere else as as repertoire for fiddlers at that time. Interesting. So um, they definitely had kind of a unique repertory and um, were very popular. The the Scots played for every sitting U.S. president from Jefferson through uh, for 50 years beyond that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, incredible. What a musical... Basically a family of, of kind of like musical talent and genius. Yeah. Um, and Jefferson used to visit the Scots. He would... Um, ride his horse past that Scott family home that I was just telling you about on his way to see how construction was going at UVA. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he, he would listen to them play and was very encouraging of them. Uh, so this concert will be a lot of their music, and then I have hired a composer to write a new piece. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. There you go, speaking to your... That's right. Yeah. Um, and I've hired a storyteller. This all feeds in together here. Um, there is a wonderful story that um, is attributed to an enslaved nursemaid at Monticello that has had a very strange journey back to me. It, um, I think it was one of Jefferson's granddaughters told the story to someone who put it in a French journal in French. And then it got translated in the 1970s back to English. And now I've hired a storyteller, Sheila Arnold, to kind of put it back in, in the vernacular. It was translated, in, for lack of a better word, it was in a very white way. <laughs> you know, a very sort of academic French, way. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. so it went from normal English to fancy French to fancy English, yeah. now trying to get back to kind of what it would have sounded like at the time. Exactly. Um, and, and this storyteller kind of specializes in inhabiting historical figures. Mm -hmm. So she's going to inhabit this in, enslaved nursemaid and tell the story. We're going to be providing music around it that's been newly mm -hmm. composed. Um, and it's, it's an epic story. It's, um, if you're familiar with the Br'er Rabbit tales, mm -hmm. um, she has identified three different Br'er Rabbit tales that are inside this one long story. Wow. And she says that it also has roots uh, in Ghana. Wow. Yeah. So, so, I mean, you're talking a story that is quite possibly a, a thousand years old, or, I mean, I depending mean, how far yeah. back you know. I mean, because yeah. oral history, oral tradition. If, I mean, if you, if you didn't be traced back to Donna, your oral tradition is who knows how... Exactly. How yeah, it's really... It's, it's going to be, a, I think, a really special moment. And this storyteller is incredible. Um, she, uh, she's just sent me um, a, a, a draft of her retelling of the tale. Mm -hmm. And it's very exciting. I mean, as she reminded me, though... The story comes out differently every time. <laughs> she is a storyteller. She's allowed to take liberties. Yeah. So we can't depend on a specific word happening at a specific time. So we're going to be very careful about how we arrange the music. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, the challenge then is the music, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's like oh, oh, wait, no, didn't happen this time. You changed the word. Oh, oh, oh that's, that's funny. That's yeah. funny. Well, and that just means that I know there's, there's at least, I, am, I'm, am I right on the website that there's, uh, a concert will happen in Charlottesville, obviously, and then one in Amherst. Yes. Um, so the the folks at Amherst Glebe Arts Response are sponsoring a concert on the 16th at the oldest um, historically black church in Lynchburg. Wow. Yeah. So that also is a very historically resonant uh, space. Oh, absolutely. Um, so we'll have concerts on the 16th and 18th. Um, 
And I just confirmed that on the 17th we'll have, this isn't on the website yet, but breaking news. Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, on the 17th we're going to be at the center at Belvedere in the morning and oh, provide cool. some context for folks about the, the, um, the program. That's fantastic. Oh, that's, that's, a, that's a good yeah. play, space yeah. as well. Yeah. That is. That um, is. I'm, they, they are good friends of Early Music Access Project. We've done a number of programs there that are free and open to the public. And um, that, that's their thing, um, being, bring, bringing in community groups yep. to do free programs for their patrons. That's that's fantastic. Yep. That's well. You know, since it's not the same story, it's never quite the same. You'll just have to go to all of them. All of them. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That teaches for everything. <laughs> then you'll get a slightly different story every time. Yeah. You'll just have to. You wouldn't want to miss a change of word, or even who knows, maybe a changed uh, changed ending. Maybe. <laughs> you may have to be quick on the draw if you want to come to them all. The um, the venue that we're negotiating with for the the 18th only seats 160. Oh, okay. So, okay. so another hit there. Another hit there. The audience wants to try to guess that yeah, one. Yeah, if you can find the, the space that only seats 160, you can figure it out. <laughs> there you, call, you go. You call How can you see? It's <laughs> probably one of our audience members who will, uh, who will try that. Uh, Judy Stotts, Nicole Toy, uh, Dale Baker, thanks for watching the show this morning. Appreciate it very much. So, I mean, David, I mean, it's, it's always a pleasure. It's, a, it's been a lot of fun. Where can time. people find out more, get to know more about Early Music Access Project, and get tickets, most importantly? Sure. So, Early Music Seville is the way across the board. So, the website is earlymusicseville.org, and all of our social media is Early Music Seville. Oh, fantastic. Easy to remember. Yep. Yeah. And if you, if you go to earlymusicseville.org and click Upcoming Events, you scroll down, and there is, you can actually, there's the link to buy the tickets yep. for Winter Song, Winter Songs and Stories. And I've put that same link right on the, the homepage as well to make things a little easier awesome. for folks. There you go. There um, you go. I was, uh, you're right. It's right there. <laughs> it's right there. I, I know how it is. When you go on a website, you don't want to have to be searching around. So I've, I've made it easy. As easy as I can make it. Yep, exactly. <laughs> That's Perfect. smart. That's the way to do it. That's right. Perfect. Ah, David. As always, such yeah, a pleasure to fun, have you yeah, on. Absolutely. Always fun thanks. to be here. It's, no, thanks it's for, a learning thanks experience. For I enjoyed it. <laughs> Love it. Have a wonderful day. Thanks. thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you, David. Yep. Ah, hard, hard to beat. Just, no, absolutely. You know, yeah. the, well, the know, enthusiasm, uh, the music. This, uh, you know, I mean, we, at first we were talking about food and music. And, mm-hmm. and then the other thing, obviously, we, we always enjoyed is, is, is literature, right? Yep. And so literature, at least, especially, as you know, I was kind of always fond of South American literature because mm-hmm. of the storytelling. Yep. Right? And the stories are just so wonderful. And again, here he is, here we are, telling a story and connecting it to music, right? Having music part of that story, which is, which is wonderful, you know? Exactly. I mean, think about, think about movies, right? Movies without music, right? They don't have the same impact. That music no, really brings missing. a lot of times the story to life, right? So it's, uh, it should be a lot of fun. Absolutely. And so the, the idea of stories traveling... Yeah. Over time, I remember oh. as you mentioned Latin American literature. I mean, all the Latin Americans fell in love with Edgar Allan Poe, not in English but in French, <laughs> but just Baudelaire translated, translated, him. It, and yeah. then somehow it ended up in Latin America. And like this, this guy's fantastic, Edgar Allan Poe. He's amazing, <laughs> but they're reading him in French. That's right, that's right. <laughs> and he had great stories, though, right? I mean, stories. that's the thing. It's like the stories just captivate you, right? They mm-hmm. capture you, and it's like that's that's what you need. And when you have that. And then you put some music to it, and music from the times. 
It's, it's a great menu. Yeah, absolutely. To, to be able to understand yeah. and appreciate how people lived and, yeah. and how they, what they thought, you yeah. know, sort of get, like you said, get into their mindset through these stories. Sounds like a fun job, right? It does. It does. You can tell David <laughs> yeah, enjoys it. Absolutely. Which is, which absolutely. is fantastic. Uh, Marceau Marshall, Edwin Burke, Carolyn Franklin, thanks for, for watching the show. Thanks for liking the, our, our show this morning. So, I mean, love just some of our favorite things. It is. Today, it is. But, yeah. uh, and one of our other favorite things, of course, is uh, just helping people financially. <laughs> and, yeah, it, uh, yeah, you know, it's... Um, is is what I always tell you know a lot of our a lot of our clients right I mean you, you, sometimes you get to the point where it's like you know I'm 67 how come I'm retired I said I said I just love what I do right mm-hmm. and second of all I work with my with my head right so I always tell people the day that my 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 kids say you know I don't think that was the right thing to say or that wasn't the right advice <laughs> I said I'm going to do it because it's what I love well, right the day that Michael and I say it. This is probably going to tell it to you all the time, whether it's true or not. (laughs) But it's, uh, so, so again, to us, it's an enjoyment. It's Mm -hmm. because one, we enjoy what we do, but as you always say, and it's the truth, I mean, it's, it's, we enjoy helping others begin to recognize that they're, there are ways for them to achieve specific goals, right? Exactly. And then obviously we're talking about financial goals, right? Um, and so, you know, we do the work, and uh, it's like a debit. He, he does the work, puts it together, and then it comes out, right? And so it's kind of the same thing. We do the, we do the leg work um, and then try to be able to help everybody because everybody's, everybody's goal is somewhat different. And I always mm-hmm. tell you, when people come to our office, I look at it as it's pieces of a puzzle, Right. And you have to get those pieces and try to put that puzzle together for them, right? Because it's their pieces. I can't take somebody else's pieces and make a puzzle for them, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the beauty. I mean, that's, that's kind of part of storytelling. I mean, how many times do the clients come in and then they're telling you stories. telling you their story. And through their stories, you realize what it is that they enjoy about life, what they're trying to achieve, and then you begin to put you know, a, a strategy for, for them together, right? Exactly. So that they can achieve that, right? But I thought, and I know you had some, some um, interesting data that you want to mm-hmm. share. Um, and certainly, uh, as most people probably know, yesterday the Fed made a decision to raise rates another yep, quarter of a point. Time. What I thought was interesting was his uh, Powell's comment. He says that um, this inflation process has started. And I'm saying disinflation? I'm not sure we're seeing disinflation, but I guess what he's trying to say, the, the slow... Well, the, he's, that if you notice, inflation he's using is it, slowing Exactly. Down. He's using a very pointed term there because inflation, prices go up. Deflation, prices go down. Right. Disinflation means prices are still going up, but not as fast. Not as fast, yeah. In other words, because if you think about it, the inflation rate goes from 8% to 6.5%. Prices are still going up. 6.5%. They're still 6.5%, <laughs> right? They're still 6.5% higher than yeah. they were, but they're not going up as fast. Exactly. Hence, disinflation exactly. yeah. has begun. But that's nowhere near stabilization of prices nor a decrease right. in the which price is, level. Which is what we need. But I, but I thought was, what was really interesting, um, uh, Alex, was that I was looking at some stats, right? And this just really caught my, my fancy, right? So since November, November was kind of like the beginning where interest rates began to come down. Mm-hmm. I think most people expected, okay, we've seen 
maybe the heights of inflation, unless we're not mm-hmm. going to see inflation continue to rise past what we had before. Um, so from like November 3rd to today, for example, uh, the 10-year yield has gone from 4.2% to about 3.5%, right? 3.35% which is almost a 1% drop. So, so that's actually even good for, for mortgages, right? Because mm-hmm. 30-year mortgages are, are um, uh, based, of, off, uh, based off the 10-year treasury, right? So that's actually good, right? But, and, and so what I thought was interesting, so there's, a, there's an index called the CRB index, which kind of tracks inflation. Well, that index was actually down about 0.8. And, of course, the majority of that was the fact that energy prices have come down, come down right, for obvious reasons, right? Um, but what I thought was really, really keen in what I saw was that gold prices since November 3rd till today are up 20%. Just now, you say to yourself, why are you saying that? Well, gold, historically, people buy gold as, when, an, inflation as an inflation hedge. So why is gold going up when Infl- it appears that yeah. inflation's coming down unless there's the expectation that we have done um, you know, there's been manipulation per se to the inflation, um, not data, but the inflation that we have seen, mm-hmm. right, in such a way that people don't believe that we are really, you know, have seen the end of inflation. Exactly. Right? In other words, yeah, the people who are putting their money into this, right, the people who are choosing where to allocate their funds are looking and saying the headline inflation number with that six point something percent, it's not correctly capturing the inflation that most people are seeing, the exactly. actual inflation of the dollar. Hence, I'm going to continue to buy an inflation hedge. That's right. That's right. Because, I mean, that's, I mean, what else is there to say? Because, I mean, let's, let's face it. I mean, you, you begin to look at that of that sort and you say it's telling you a story, right? Mm-hmm. And the market is saying something, right? And so, you know, you, you begin to scratch your head. It's like, what are, what's the market telling us by the fact that these particular commodities going up? And I think the average person on the street would probably tell you something similar to the market. I mean, if you ask the average person and oh, yeah. say, uh, you know, when you go to the grocery store, are you only seeing 6% inflation? They'd be like, no, eggs are up 13, bread's up 10, this is up double digit they they could list you a lot of things that are up double digit percents. Oh, absolutely. So they're sitting there saying, I mean, yeah, maybe the economy as a whole 6.8%, but what I am seeing is not that number. And so they would probably echo a lot of what the, what the market is saying. They're saying, okay, yes, all well and good, that number, but that doesn't reflect the full aspect of reality. Exactly, exactly. And, and that's a you know, perfect example. I mean, I, I know that, and the only reason I know is because I, I happened to buy, I think, eggs a couple of days ago. I think they're almost, like, they're almost $10 a dozen. I mean... I don't remember things as well as, you know, as Jan does, you know, my, my wife. But, you know, when I used to buy them, like, like $3.30, yeah, you know, almost $4. But $10, that's, that's over that's, 150%. I mean, for $3, that's like 300 That's not 9% inflation. That's 150%. Yep. Granted, it's only one item. But as you, as you said, but you know, are there staples. are some things have come down. But, the, but that which you need the most, which is food in particular... Food? Energy and rent. Yeah. Right? They're going up. Slash mortgage. Yeah. All those I mean, things. energy, yes. Yeah. Oil prices have come down again. You know, is it going to stay down? I mean, we've actually drained our but it reserves. it also depends what that. you mean by that. Does that mean they went from five plus. They went from seven in some states, right? Yeah. I mean, we almost hit. We almost hit five. Five yeah. here in Virginia, right? Yeah. 
five plus down to three, and now they're back up to around three thirty-five, three fifty. Yeah. So it's still a significant oh, absolutely. Yeah. cost for people. So you're sitting there, energy is telling you rent has not gone down. I mean, uh, not, yeah. that, not that I'm seeing as someone who's uh, looking, yeah. <laughs> looking to, <laughs> to rent. You certainly don't seem to have come down very much, right? And then food. Yeah. I mean, that, that, those three things make up 60, 70% of someone's budget. Yeah. At this point. Which, which kind of leans to the, the statistic you gave me before. Which is right? that uh, basically the, the American savings rate is now near an all-time low of 2.3%. Of so that's the amount. The savings rate is the amount of people's income that they are able to save. And that is, has, re, has neared an all-time low of 2.3%. And just to comparison, March 2020, that savings rate was near an all-time high of 33%. Wow. So, of course, March 2020, you don't have much choice, right? And you can't do anything Right, you are saving a lot of money. Lot you're of receiving money. stimulus checks, right? If you're unemployed, you're receiving COVID unemployment assistance, right? You've probably received, if you're renting, you've probably received some kind of rental assistance, right? Eviction moratorium. So there were a lot of things that were put in place during the pandemic to kind of build up that savings. And in fact, as early as the beginning of 2022, people still had on average around 3,000 in a lot of emergency fund savings accounts. That's now basically almost down to zero. Yeah. And we, you see it also in the credit card numbers that more and more people are putting debt onto the credit card numbers. So in other words, the average American, yes, have we been able to weather the inflation storm over the past two years in terms of we're still buying the same amount of goods, more or less. So, in other words, we haven't yet decreased dramatically the amount of actual goods we're buying. So, in other words, we're still buying two cartons of eggs, even though eggs are more expensive. We exactly. haven't dropped to one carton yet. We're still buying two cartons of eggs. But our ability to do that has now been stretched to its limit. Exactly. In other words, it's, it's the savings us. we were using are pretty much done. Yeah. Yeah, what I would, what what I was able to save in the past, I can no longer save mm-hmm. because I need every single penny to be continued well, to buy and those I have two drained, of eggs. In other words, I am operating at a deficit. Yeah, and I have now drained my savings. My emergency fund: fifty-seven percent of Americans do not have enough cash on hand in a savings account emergency fund to pay a one thousand dollar emergency. Wow. So I mean, fifty-seven percent of Americans, if they are struck with a one thousand dollar emergency, are going to their credit card. Yeah. There is not enough there. Now, they may pay the credit card back quickly. They may have the credit card balance for two weeks until the next paycheck comes in, but they do not have enough cash on hand without immediately going to their credit card for a $1,000 emergency. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. And, and, that, and so, and, you know, we were talking a little bit about it before and this morning, and, and that's, those, are, those are the challenges that as an investor, right, as a financial person you have in the sense that you – you, you, you look at this economy, you say, it's an economy that is really struggling, right? Mm-hmm. In the sense of, it seems to do well and boom, you know, it, for example, I mean, this, so far this quarter, the economy is growing up 0.6%, which is very, very low, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I know, you know, there is a, a group of economists that believe that we're going to see either a recession or a mild mm-hmm. recession in the second half of this year or 2024, Right, uh, and there's a group that's saying we probably won't. Mm-hmm. So, but the data is so confusing because some data says, "Hey, things are appear to be going well," but then when you start digging real mm-hmm. deep into that data, you say there's just a lot of 
you know, incongruencies in this data, you say, it just doesn't make mm -hmm. sense. Even right? the GDP number itself, I was reading an interesting article the other day, the GDP number itself, of course, we had two quarters of positive GDP. Right. They said when you dive into there, one of the biggest drivers of why those were positive at all was that net exports was positive. So you think about it, net exports is exports minus imports. So if you think about it this way, right, GDP is supposed to measure what we make in this country. So exports, even though they're bought in another country, we made them here. Right. So they add to GDP. Imports, yes, you bought them here, but they were made in another country, so they subtract from GDP. Exactly. So when net exports are positive, when exports minus imports is positive, in other words, we sold more overseas than we bought here, right? When that's positive, it adds to GDP. It, it adds more. Net exports was up, and that was a big driver of positive GDP, but it wasn't up because our exports were up. It was up because our imports, our imports were, were down, down so much. So in other words, if they said the equivalent is this. Like, let's say you're, you, know, you make $10,000. And you spend $8,000. So your net budget, right, your net income is $2,000. Now let's say your, your job cuts your salary, so now you're only making $8,000. But you're so afraid of losing money that you cut back on your, all your expenses and you only spend $5,000. 8 minus 5 is 3000 So at the end of the year, you'd look at the number and say, oh, Alex must have done a lot better this year. He had $3,000 left over. Right. And last year, he only had two. But in reality, I'm worse in every way. I made less money, and I consumed way less. Exactly. Right? But my final budget looks much better. So the issue is, so you look at our export situation and says, yes, we made a lot less in America, but we bought even less from overseas, That's right. That's which right. boosts the GDP number because yeah. it's a positive that exports typically it's the opposite. Usually we kind of run a deficit there. We tend to buy more from overseas than we than we send overseas. So that reversed, but reversed in a way that's not exactly positive. No, it isn't. It right. Isn't. So yeah. it's an interesting when you dig deeper. There's just you you get these positive numbers. They're like, well, okay, it's not a bad. Right. Thing. The, the immediate gonna... the immediate impact in the markets looks just a number comes out. Boom, it looks great. Exactly. And then well, as you begin to look deep into the numbers, it's like. There's yeah, there's just certain things, and you're not gonna you have to just dismiss it, right? I mean, you're not no. you and I aren't gonna be here and say, oh, woe is us, we had a positive quarter, right? It's a good number, of course, by yeah. any means. But then you, like you said, there's then this conflicting data which says ah, it's just well, not because as the question is, can it continue? Can it continue? Exactly right. Mm -hmm. Can it continue? Because I mean, this country in, uh, typically imports more than export. Now, mm -hmm. is, is that a reversal that's going to happen continuously? Or was it a one-off, right? Mm -hmm. And then it's like we were talking about the salaries. I mean, so, you know, wage, wages appear to have been increasing, right? And mm -hmm. somebody's, like, happy about it. But when, again, I did the Wait, same thing. There was an article, and it showed that the issue isn't so much that salaries haven't been increasing at the rate that wages. What has happened is that the bonuses, previous bonuses, you know, the companies have given their employees these large bonuses, right? And... You know, where they got that money, we can talk about that all day mm -hmm. long, depending on, 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 on what company it is, right? But the issue is that bonuses aren't something that you get on a monthly basis, and they're not guaranteed, right? Mm -hmm. So the concern is that the salaries haven't increased at the rate that people expect. So coming into 2023, if those bonuses don't reappear then wages have, will have dropped dramatically exactly. in 23 or 24. And your concern is that's exactly why the company gave a bonus. In other words, if the company gives you a 5% wage increase, right, 
that's your baseline. Yeah, that's exactly. Year, right? They don't want to. Companies don't like any. No, any employer will tell you they don't like having to cut the wages of their employees. It does. It's not good for morale. Exactly. It's not good for the workforce. Right? You don't like to do that. So if you sit there and say, I want to reward you this year, I understand that inflation was 8%, but I do not want to risk I don't the baseline. Want to lock in. I don't want to lock in this baseline and then have to cut this next year. I'm going to give you a bonus of this amount, but not increase your salary. And therefore, next year, your salary, may, if you don't get the bonus again, if times are tough, your salary will have effectively decreased from year to year. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the challenge. I mean, what what would you say? Because I know a lot of financial planners, because of this, right? Okay, people's savings are down. People are saying, okay, I need to replenish my emergency fund. I don't want to sit there not being able to cover a $1,000 expense. What are some, and I, I have some answers to some things that financial planners are beginning to look at. What are some things you you tend to look at? Say, All right, here's, here's areas. Maybe not a specific thing, but here's areas that even in tough times you need to be looking at. So, I mean, so there's a couple of things, right? I mean, obviously, everybody needs to look at their expenses, right, and try to figure out, you know, what expenses, you know, you have to do what, what we're trying to do now with, with the government. Now, there's like, what areas can we truly, truly cut down on that mm-hmm. we don't need to spend all this money on, right? And so I think as a family, one has to sit back and say, okay, what, what are we not using to the fullest? Mm-hmm. And like, for example, that you, you may be streaming five or six things, and you say, Listen, we never even look at this, and it's costing mm-hmm. us, you know, ten bucks a month or twenty bucks a month, whatever it may be, right? Um, so again, you, you really have to start. You have to sit back, look. Where, and, and this is a great time to do it because most credit cards they give you a kind of, you know, this is what you spent last year, and yep. they break it up into services and you know, medical, whatever it may be, right? And you can take a look at that and say, why is this so high? Let me look yep. and say, do we really need this? I mean, are we using it, or can we, you know? at least for now, forego that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the other, thing, the other thing you have to think about is, you know, at least now uh, there are opportunities to save. If you, if you can save, there are opportunities to invest to earn in, uh, and earn, you know, mm-hmm. you know, 4 or 5% on your money, right? Um, so instead of just keeping it in a bank in a, in a checking account, think about can I put this money somewhere where it earns me a little more, more mm-hmm. interest, right? And, and that ability now, the, the, you know, the, the, being able to do that in multiple ways with very little risk is there. So I would highly recommend, you know, call your financial advice and say, what can I do with this? Is there a way for me to earn some money on this? Um, and then the last one is always think about a Roth if you can. Remember, yeah. a Roth is like a savings. You put that money in there. It grows tax-free. Mm-hmm. If you don't need it, fantastic. It'll continue to grow. If you need it, no problem. You can take you can that money out, out anytime. Yeah. Yep. So. Yep. I think those are some keys. And they're saying, yeah, a lot of you know, financial planners, obviously, you always have those small expenses that you work on, right? right. And then some of them are now starting also to look at some, some of those big fixed costs. Because as an example, right, particularly for people who rent, there's a tendency as you make a little more that you move on to the next slightly bitter apartment, yeah. right? And to say, hold off on another year. In other words, yeah. you were living in a department that cost you 1400 a month. It, you can. You, let's say your salary goes up or you got a big bonus, right? You're like, okay, now I can afford a larger apartment that's $1,700 a month. Then I hold off. You were living there. Hold off for a year. Pocket the 300 a month, right? Then make the move. Right. Just delays, slight movements, 
things that you could work on there. And then, like you said, a lot of them are beginning now to look at the investments because three years ago, right, did it matter whether you were in checking or in a savings account with a money market rate of 1%? Or 0.25% didn't really matter. Exactly. Right? You just want the flexibility of checking. Now, you're talking $1,000 in checking. At the end of the year, you still have $1,000. $1,000 earning 5%, you got $50 in there at the end of the year. And the only important thing is make sure that when you are looking at the opportunities to invest – you know, don't invest things that lock you in for X yep, number of, exactly. you know, because then yeah, you know, you're locking in two, three years yeah. and it's like, oh, I need the money in six months. Now you're, you're going to be penalized mm-hmm. heavily. There are, uh, there are funds out there that OCDs. have, you know, yeah, there it's are funds common, that yeah. have uh, tremendous liquidity so mm-hmm. that if you need the money in six months, you can just take it yeah. out quickly. Yeah, you know, avoid things like, I was saying like there, there are things like CDs that can lock you in. Right. So you always have to be aware of that. Exactly. Um, exactly. So when you yeah. go to those that next tier of savings accounts and CDs and things at the bank, just make sure it's not something that's locking you exactly. in. Exactly, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're doing it short term, they say, I don't know when I'm going to need this this money, but I want it to, to continue to grow a little more than I want to have it now. Yes, I mean, things that lock you in isn't the best way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, so that's our, I mean, that, that's our, our advice Tidbits. there, but it's definitely something a lot of people are now having to look at because yeah. you need, you're, you, you've used up that stimulus money. You've used up whatever you saved in 2020, early 2021. And now you're sitting there saying, All right, I need to build the savings again. And as you can see, with a 2.3% savings rate, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard in this No, I mean, you know, we, we, and, and let's be honest. I mean, inflation takes a big bite out of your savings, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and, you know, we had 9% inflation basically last year. That's just... It's, it's, it's huge, hard to overcome you know, that. that is, yeah, that's, that's a big chunk of your money just being taken away from you. Um, and it hurts. And especially, you know, for middle income, for senior citizens, that's very painful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So just a couple things to think about. Yep, couple absolutely. couple things to think about. Absolutely. All righty. So, I mean... Always appreciate it. It was a great, same here, great show same here. today. No, it was a good show, great yeah. Show today. Was, enjoyed uh, it. Enjoy, enjoy uh, David and uh, his, uh, his storytelling of yep, what, what he does. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just a couple more shout-outs for people who are liking the show. Uh, Carolyn Franklin, Jacqueline Doring, St. George, Jennifer Gregory, Lenny Sorensen, thanks for liking the show. Thank you so always, much. Always yeah. appreciate it. Um, always appreciate being here. With Same you. here. It's always fun. That's great. We got some other fantastic guests. We're going to be joined by Betsy Loran from Taino Fire Protection. Oh, okay. Um, as well as by Miguel and Carolina. They're going to be from Credit Serious Insurance. They're going to be joining us next week. So, fantastic show. It's going to be a fun show. show. It's going to be a good up. show. Yeah. It is. It's going to be a great show. So, we're looking forward to it. I believe I'll be on with Michael. That's reached to be joining us. Yeah. You know, so if you've been waiting for Xavier to be off the show, you can now tune in again. <laughs> Here's your opportunity. Here's your opportunity to watch the show without Xavier on it. <laughs> um, so we're looking forward to that. Um, of course, definitely appreciate all our amazing partners, the Jim Seville, this Saturday, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., uh, Health and Wellness Expo, and then two weeks from this Saturday, February 18th, um, Luke Edwards is going to be coming to the gym. So be sure to check out the Gym Seville. They're on Facebook, Instagram, website. You can find it all there um, on how to sign up for that. Um, Credit Serious Insurance, always appreciate our partner there, Forward Adelante and Castle Hill Cider. You know, still, still some good opportunities. I know there's going to be a Valentine's Day event at Castle Hill Cider. That's right. That's right. Uh, on the Sunday before 
Valentine's Day. Just Valentine's so Day the 12th. is a Tuesday, so the 12th. Um, as well as... Um, the, but the, the whole weekend. Wasn't it the whole weekend? It's the whole week. Okay. I, I think the weekend It starts on Friday, the 10th, 11th, and 12th. That's a good question. That's a good question. We can, you we can, can look find it up out. Yeah, if, if, if my memory uh, serves me right, which uh, doesn't always... Jonathan, you were correct. February 9th through the 12th, cider and beer. I was paying attention. See? You were paying attention to uh, to uh, Rob when he came on. So Valentine's weekend, February 9th, 12th, cider and beer hearts pairing at uh, Castle Hill Cider. And then, of course, you can keep an eye out coming soon. Um, dates are not there yet, but coming soon, the Royal Tea at Castle Hill oh, Cider. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's that. right, yeah. So uh, a little, a, some fun things coming, uh, coming your way at Castle Hill as well. Um, and, of course, presented by Emergent Financial Services. And love being here on the I Love Seawool Network set. Thank you so much, Xavier, for joining us, this, for Thank being with you, me. Thank you, Alex, for inviting me today. Oh, no. I love, love being here with you. I love, love inviting you. Uh, thank you so much for the audience, for the participation, the comments, and uh, Absolutely. just liking and sharing the show this morning. Thank you, Judah, behind the camera. Um, look forward to seeing you all next week. But until that time, stay warm out there and hasta mañana. <laughs>